to the book of Ecclesiastes again this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Several themes and words of instruction from the wise teacher certainly emerge in this chapter. We're going to focus on the first seven uh, verses that we have in our English um, division of chapter and verse there. But if there is a main theme, sort of a billboard message to Ecclesiastes is that a life lived with joy and purpose and contentment and satisfaction, all of those things under the sun is a life lived in the fear of God. It is a fear of God that pushes back, counters the vanity, the frustrations, the disappointments, uh, that we all experience in this life. The vanity is answered with eternity. I hope that's working itself in to our hearts and our minds. And as we live quorum Deo before the face of God, you know, all of the worldly wisdom that we see around us, that, that begins to, uh, to be less attractive, uh, less helpful. Living in the fear of, of God lifts our gaze. All that's, that's a vanity under the sun. Uh, to those things that are above, where Christ, our Savior, dwells. So that theme, which is throughout this book, it comes uh, to the surface here in chapter 5. We're going to look at our own hearts when approaching the Lord in worship. It says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow about to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one we must fear. This is the holy and enduring word of our God. Let's pray together. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of this, your holy word. Lord, we are grateful that you would extend your grace to us through this word, a word that endures when all else fades away. So we look to you now. May we listen intently, your spirit speaking to us through your word. We need your Holy Spirit to apply this word to our hearts, to our lives, conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Sometimes if you're not careful, you can step in places that you don't want to step. If you have a pet and it's your turn to clean up the yard, then you need to be careful where you step. If you have a tow hitch on the back of your vehicle, or you put the ball into the receiver, you're going to walk around to the trunk. Oh, you have to be careful. Uh, where you step. So let's have the bruised shins uh, as a reminder of that. 
Uh, we have a lamp in our living room, and it's about four feet from the wall, and then the cord is, is stretching to the wall. And we, we've gotten used to that cord being there, but you still have to watch where you step. And the wise teacher of Ecclesiastes, in essence, here, telling us to watch our step as we gather for worship and come into the sanctuary of our God. He's not encouraging us to worship. That's assumed. When you go into the house of God, this is part of your practice and, and rhythm of life under the sun. We're to watch our step, not because the ground is uneven or there's cords or, or a trailer hitch, but because we can worship with an attitude or with a posture either of wisdom or of foolishness. And we're going to worship with others who are worshiping in wisdom or in foolishness. And coming together for worship, I'm just thinking of, of times, you know, in between Sundays, church life. Um, we've been told we're made for community. We spent some time on this last week, how much we need each other on this journey of faith. You know, but it's that each other piece, that you know, forming relationships, deepening those relationships, that's risky. That is often costly and, and messy. Church life is messy. See some no, no amens to that even. <laughs> um, which is okay, because we're not proud of that, you know, fact, certainly. But it matches the experience for many of us. If you've been in a church for any length of time, you know that there are other sin-scarred human beings sharing the pew with you. And we don't all think the same way, or we don't all respond in the same way, or have the same desires or goals all the time. Some of us have really been hurt by those in the church. The closer the relationship, more potential for betrayal or for hurt. I do think this is one of the reasons why we see a lack of commitment to the church in general. Okay, there's a hesitancy to join the membership of the church because folks don't want to get hurt. They want a quick exit in case you know, there's some bad vibes or tension that arises. And in so doing, we, you know, we sacrifice much of what the church is intended to be in covenant community. But we're going to find that community. We're going to build those relationships somewhere. We will do this. And so we're invited to do so here among God's people in the church. So sin doesn't, sin in the church doesn't surprise us. There's always going to be this mix of uh, foolishness and wisdom as we come together. We extend the invitation to enter into this mess for the glory of God. It's what we need. And the wise teacher, he understands this. He's not naive to the messiness. Again, he offers, really what I see is a warning and encouragement in these verses. He says, guard your hearts and your mouths before God in worship and give what you promised. <clears throat> Fulfill your mouths. So those are the two hooks we're going to use this morning, guarding uh, and giving. Guard your steps. Be careful. Consider your motives and your attitudes when you come to worship. You know, if we're not watching our staff, we're not guarding our hearts and mouths, we could play the fool in what we bring before the Lord. And what, what does that look like? Well, our worship could just be a formality, mechanical exercises, little thought or intention 
behind our words. And we offer those words of confession just a few minutes ago. Were those words your words from your heart? We put language before God. We just spit them out because everyone else is doing it at that moment in the service. Foolishness in worship, the foolish churchgoer tends to love the sound of their own voice, especially when talking about church stuff. There's always something to say. And the tendency is to think that, well, God thinks as we think, and so everybody needs to hear about it. So there's a formality, a religiosity that's often cloaked with many words. Jesus warns of this, Matthew 6, when he's teaching about prayer. He says, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. A foolish worship think that's with lots of words, with lots of church activity, that will somehow, you know, God's presence and, and God's blessing will follow that. Vanity, great evil before God, is a worship with no intention to worship, it will impact on our lives. Uh, this is where I need to hear it. I know we all need to hear this, especially when it comes in you know, preparation for worship. I think in general, we don't do a real good job in preparing to enter the house of God for worship, to draw near to the Holy One of the universe. Beloved, we are made to worship. We get to worship this morning. We get to come together. Do you look forward to this? Is this the main event in your week? Do you prepare for this like it's the main event? If we get a handful of Razorback tickets, if they ever start handing those things out again, to go to the stadium, you're probably going to look forward to that. You're probably going to prepare for that. You're going to invest some time in the travel and seating for how long to sit at a football game. Okay, baseball? Yeah, I get it. But football? Um, <laughs> our preparation for worship, it, it starts long before 1045. I know you may find this hard to believe, considering the privilege of what it is we are about in these moments. There are some places, I don't mean to be vague here, to hide Trinity Fellowship. I'm grateful this has not been my experience, but there are some places where if a worship service goes past an hour, or an hour and 15 minutes, <laughs> Uh, the pastor of the church or leaders will hear about it and typically not, you know, thanking them for it. Um, now, I recognize, totally recognize the insensitivity of a service that's drawn out can interfere with other plans. I get that. So one pastor reminded me this last week, he says, church is meant to disrupt our denial. We are meant to learn there in God's house how to unvarnish our lives before him. Unvarnish our lives. Oh, may the Holy Spirit convict our hearts if we think that our lives are somehow being intruded upon, or we have more important things to be about than the worship of the triune God. But there's a different way. We counter foolish church going by, first of all, not giving up, not quitting church altogether, rolling up our sleeves and duking things out. We go to the sanctuary of God, worship with wisdom. We slow our tongues. We quiet our hearts. So to draw near and listen, not just to hear words, but to really take in those words. 
take in what's being said. We want to listen. We want to obey God's word to us. I think of how often the prophets in the Old Testament, Jeremiah specifically, would, would cry out to God's people, you have not listened. You refuse to listen. And typically we're better listeners the less our mouth is moving. How are you doing in your ability to listen? Are you easily distracted? Do you fake listening? You bail out of listening, maybe when it feels too hard to understand what's happening? Chuck Smidal, he shares a, a time in his life, things were very busy, his schedule was hectic, and he started to see this unfolding in the rhythm of family life. Uh, just this hurry-up schedule. And so one night, his daughter came to him and uh, said, Daddy, I want to tell you something, and I'll tell you really fast. <laughs> and he realized that something's wrong with that picture. And so he turned to his daughter and said, Honey, I want you to tell me what you need to tell me, but you don't have to tell me really fast. Uh, say it slowly. And her response to him, well, he would never forget it. She turned to him and said, Then listen slowly. <laughs> listen slowly. Let your words be few. Listen slowly to God and to one another. And this is something, we be encouraged, this is something we can actually get better at. We practice this by doing what we're doing right now, coming week in and week out in repetition in our worship. That grows our ability to listen and to wait. The Spirit of Christ is present here with us. I heard this picture again this last week. I think it's so helpful. Consider when you, when you come into the sanctuary of God and you take your seat here on a morning like this, you're taking your seat next to Christ who is longing to worship the Father, who desires us, who has prepared to come into the presence of his Father. So we look to him, we follow his lead in our worship, and we even have the ability to do this in union with Christ. When gathered in this place, we are really offering just the overflow of our lives, filled with the knowledge of God. So you ask, well, how is this possible? It's possible by faith, by living and worshiping in the fear of God. That's verse 2, verse 7. And we find that this, this fear is the underlying motivation to guard our hearts, to guard our tongues. Give what we've promised. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Let your words be few. We are the creature. He is the creator. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He is the Holy One. And this is a place where God is revered, where God is present. Even where his angels, his representatives are present. What is the most common response of human beings in those moments? It's a, a quietness, a holy fear before the Lord. It's holiness and majesty and power that silences us. I think of Job and his friends, how they were reminded of this after so much that they did not understand. Where God is present, there is a holy reference. You know, it doesn't hurt for us to contrast this uh, with what is so often associated with healthy and vibrant worship in the church today. Um, you know, hands waving, jumping up and down, cranking up the amps. God must be present in this place because I'm feeling it. My body's feeling it. 
I'm hearing it. There's enough noise that I can hardly decipher what's going on. I think that's honest because it's hard to listen here and it's hard to listen here in such contexts. Now don't think for a moment that uh, God is always present and there's always right worship and his people are completely stoic and quiet. Okay, we have all kinds of examples and we have every precedent as God's people to sing loudly and to celebrate and be joyful over such a great salvation. We are body and soul creatures and when souls are moved to rejoice, sometimes the body follows. And when our hearts are, are saddened or overwhelmed, the body follows. Church family, in worship of our God, who has made us body and soul, this is okay. It's okay. There's no bylaw, even in Reformed churches that I'm aware of, that says you need to suppress your emotional responses in worship to God. Now conjure up or be manipulated into a foolish sense of worship that's easily done. But as a heart response to the holiness of God, a heart response to the beauty and the magnitude of God's love in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we can't help but close our eyes. Sometimes we can't help but raise our hands and praise or to fall on our knees. So in response to this wisdom, let's be a church. Let's be those who, who ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit as we gather in this house of worship. We need the Spirit to listen, give ourselves uh, in sincere worship. And according to the wise teacher here, uh, foolish worshipers will also, they'll make promises when it's convenient, but when there's no longer uh, much attention or the advantage to them goes away, well then, you know, it's very hard to follow through on that promise. Very wealthy businessman, he lay on his deathbed, the pastor was there with him, praying with him, talking about the healing of God. And the man gasped, Pastor, if God heals me, I will give the church a million dollars. And a few weeks later, miraculously, God healed this man. And so he was standing with the pastor outside one of the buildings in town, and, and uh, the pastor sort of made a comment, he said, you know, when you were, when you were lying ill in the hospital, you made up a promise to God. Um, you were going to give that million dollars. Now, we haven't seen any movement on that front. We haven't seen anything like that so far. The man looked at it and says, huh, well, I guess that goes to show how sick I really was. <laughs> Saying what we don't mean. We're trying to take back what we've said. Uh, in the context here, an Israelite would, would make a, a vow you know, to the priest, the one who would have to remind them of what they needed uh, to, to fulfill that vow. And then they would claim that it was a mistake. You know, they didn't really mean it. Making promises, making vows is a big deal. Any kind of promise between, between others to be taken seriously. How much more a promise before God? When I read verses 4 and 5, I always think of my wedding day. Uh, dear friend, Jimmy Covey, who officiated our wedding, he included these verses in his comments uh, as part of, of uh, our wedding, reinforcing the importance of the vows that we are making before God and before others. Okay? If, if you're not, not going to make every effort 
to keep this promise. Don't you dare make this vow. I don't think that's exactly what he said, but that, that's what I, I interpreted from his words. So indwelling sin not only wants to cast the blame, but it looks for excuses to get out of promises or commitments that we've made, especially if there's no advantage to us anymore. Things aren't going the way that you expected. So just think everyday life, you're driving along in the car, or you're making rash promises to God. Man, if this will just turn out this way, I'll do this. And you've been slow to fulfill some of those, or you've forgotten about those words altogether. You know, a tangent application here is simply being faithful to our commitments, following through, paying what we've agreed to pay, showing up, we've agreed to show up. So in wisdom, I mean, we know that our mouths can get us into trouble. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, James reminds us in James chapter 1. But then he goes on to describe the destruction of an untamed tongue just a little bit later. The fear of God guards against flippancy and running our mouths with little thought or consideration of what is true, what's pleasing to the Lord. And with walking in the fear of God, walking in the fear of God is walking by faith. So if we make a promise or a commitment, we are taking an action in faith. And if we don't follow through and fulfill that promise, it shows a carelessness and a faithfulness, faithlessness, really, um, not becoming a child of God. And so I know this sounds cliche, but I think it's helpful. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. God is not pleased with empty formality in our worship or triviality with our words. So out of a heart that was gripped by sin, King David included these words in his prayer. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart of God. You will not despise. You know, we hear a broken and contrite spirit from the man who prays, God be merciful to me, a sinner. You hear this from the man dying on the cross next to Jesus. He cries out, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you remember this man said something? We have this recorded in, in Luke 23. Just before he cries out those words to Jesus. He turned, maybe he doesn't turn at all. He's hanging there on the cross. But he, he says this to the, the other man who is there, crying out insults and curses at Jesus. Remember what he said in Luke's gospel? Do you not fear God? Since you are the same sentence of condemnation, we indeed justly, we're receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Church family, we were under that same sentence. If you're here this morning, you have not turned to Christ in repentance and faith, and you are under that same sentence. The just condemnation of God in your sin, and with no fear of God. Even if we were to hear the cry of the angel, this is what we hear in Revelation 14. On that great day, then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, every tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God. 
and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth. If we choose not to live in the fear of God, and that eternity that's been placed here that we long for will be a misery beyond what we can imagine. It is a fear of God that moves us to faith. A holy fear, love, that deepens our faith, a faith that clings to the truth that God has justly poured out his wrath on his own son for our foolish words, for our inability to listen, for all of our worthless sacrifices. God has provided the one sacrifice of infinite worth. So if there's any, you know, anything of wisdom of Ecclesiastes, anything it reveals to us, it's that with all the vanity under the sun, God is to be revered. He's to be feared. We should live in worship, with humility, and fear before the Lord all of our days. And hallelujah, church family, he has given us this day to do just that. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful for this year word. And we are grateful that you do not leave us alone, but that you come to us by your spirit. And you fill us by your spirit. Lord, work the truth of your word into our hearts and minds this day. We trust you to perform this word. Lord, I pray that as a people, we would guard our steps, guard our hearts, our mouths, as we prepare to worship you on a day like this and each day that you give to us. May we be those who desire after you and to live in obedience to your word. Lord, we thank you for giving us this word now. Send us with your peace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.